Hello and welcome to episode 26 of ERRX. In part one of our Angiotensin II mini grand round series, we discuss the use of Angiotensin II or Giapreza in the setting of vasodilatory shock. We'll briefly discuss the Athos III trial and its results, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you should reasonably expect in your own hospital when and if you use this agent. In part two next week, we'll discuss some important side effects of angiotensin II, and we'll talk about what effects angiotensin II can have in the setting of COVID. Vasodilatory shock, including septic shock, is the most common type of shock characterized by low blood pressures despite adequate cardiac output. Mainstays of treatment include administering broad-spectrum antibiotics, adequate fluid resuscitation, vasopressor therapy, and glucocorticoids if needed, as well as a whole host of other recommendations as per the surviving sepsis guidelines. At this time, we use two classes of vasopressors, catecholamines such as norepinephrine, epinephrine, and dopamine, and vasopressin. However, when we become hypotensive, our bodies activate another system, the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, or RAS, a potentially underutilized mechanism of raising blood pressure in our hypotensive patients. With this in mind, Athos III wanted to answer a simple question. Can the addition of angiotensin II to background vasopressors improve blood pressure? As a quick review of this now kind of old study, Athos III was an international, randomized, blinded, placebo-controlled trial in adult patients who had vasodilatory shock despite volume resuscitation, who were also on high-dose vasopressors. High-dose vasopressors were defined as more than 0.2 micrograms per kilogram per minute of norepinephrine or equivalence for at least 6 hours. After checking baseline maps and Apache scores, angiotensin II or placebo solutions were started at a rate of 20 nanograms per kilogram per minute and adjusted every 5 minutes during the first 3 hours to a map goal of 75 millimeters mercury. It's kind of unclear exactly why a map of 75 was chosen, but it's likely so that they could detect a big enough difference between the groups. It was also a good way to assess the safety of higher than normal doses. Either way, and more importantly, background vasopressors could not be increased during this time period unless absolutely necessary. Only after three hours could the background vasopressors be increased along with adjustments to angiotensin II, this time to a more normal MAP goal between 65 and 75. At hour 48, the study infusion was discontinued, and it was only allowed to be resumed if background vasopressors were increased by more than 0.1 micrograms per kilogram per minute of norepinephrine equivalents, or if the patient became unstable. At that point, the medication could be resumed for up to 7 days, but note that only 13 patients received the agent for even more than 72 hours. In the end, the study enrolled 321 patients, 163 that received angiotensin II, and 158 who received placebo. The groups were well-matched at baseline, and both were severely ill with high Apache II scores and high doses of baseline vasopressors. Over 95% of patients were on norepinephrine, and 70% were also on vasopressin. Unfortunately, the authors didn't define the number of patients on stress-dose steroids such as hydrocortisone. The primary endpoint, 
which was the ability to achieve a map of greater than or equal to 75, or an increase of the map by at least 10, was achieved in 70% of patients in the angiotensin 2 group and only 23% of the placebo group. At 3 hours, the angiotensin 2 group had a higher MAP increase versus placebo, at around 12.5 mm mercury versus 3 mm mercury. The authors found that if angiotensin 2 worked, it worked very quickly, and the dose of angiotensin 2 and or background vasopressors was able to come down in two-thirds of patients within 30 minutes. Cardiovascular SOFA score improvement was greater in the angiotensin 2 group, but other SOFA components did not improve significantly, and at 48 hours, the total SOFA score increased in both groups. The fact that only the cardiovascular SOFA score decreased isn't surprising, as this score takes into account vasopressor doses, which we know were reduced in the angiotensin 2 group. In multivariate analysis, the authors found that negative predictors to response to therapy were hypoalbuminemia, prior exposure to ARBs, and high background vasopressor doses. Patients on less than 0.5 mics per kg per minute of norepinephrine equivalents did better than patients on higher doses. However, there was no difference in 7-day mortality at 29% versus 35%, nor 28-day mortality at 46% versus 54%. So, is this what we can expect in the real-world setting? The answer is probably, hopefully, my hospital was lucky enough to be a study site for Athos 3, and after completion of the study, we were able to continue to use angiotensin 2, and it stayed on formulary. Our experience was similar to that of the overall Athos 3 experience. If angiotensin 2 worked, it worked almost immediately. As the authors mentioned in their limitations, it was pretty easy for the team to figure out if the patient was getting an active medication or saline placebo most of the time. Remember that about a quarter of patients had increases in MAP at hour 3 due to placebo alone, and while that statement is true, it still wasn't that drastic of an increase, nor that fast of an effect when doses were adjusted up or down. So I still maintain that it was fairly easy to figure out which medication the patient was on. We also found that angiotensin 2 was used appropriately every time. Appropriate use was defined as the patient was thought to be adequately fluid resuscitated and was also on two or three vasopressors prior to angiotensin 2 initiation. When it was used as a third-line agent, the other two pressors were always norepinephrine plus vasopressin. When it was used as a fourth-line agent, patients were on a combination of norepinephrine plus vasopressin plus either phenylephrine or epinephrine which is consistent with guideline recommendations. We, of course, used MAP goals of 65 or blood pressure goals of greater than 90 for most patients. We did find that less than half of the time, patients were able to reduce or discontinue background vasopressor dosing, not two-thirds of the time as per ATHOS-3. We found similar mortality rates as in ATHOS-3, and no patient used the agent for more than five days. Using a cost per vial of $1,500, our average cost per patient for drug alone was about $6,000. All in all, angiotensin II use, both in studies and in real-world situations, will probably increase your patient's MAP or blood pressure, and it will do so very quickly. So the answer to the question of, can angiotensin II improve blood pressure is a resounding yes, 70% of the time. 
This will come with the benefit of being able to wean off of background vasopressors, which is typically a great thing for our patients. However, don't expect a change in SOFA scores or any mortality benefits at this time. Also, cost can be a concern, especially if you are using higher doses in bigger patients for longer periods of time. As always, thank you for your time. Don't forget to tune in next week when we discuss some important side effects of angiotensin II, as well as the controversy of its use in the setting of COVID.